Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place to learn about the latest insights and trends in property, technology, business building, and contract drafting. Today, I'm excited to welcome Sammy, co-founder and CEO of Hoffi, the company which equips teams globally in a few clicks. Sammy, thank you for taking the time. Would you like to please share a bit of background about yourself and Hoffi? Thanks for having me, Chance. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yes, absolutely. I'm Sammy, one of the co-founders and CEO at Hoffi. We are a venture-backed business, and the mission that we're in is trying to make it really easy for businesses to support their employees all around the world after they've employed them through one of the EOS. And the area that we're starting with is the process of actually equipping them. So this, it sounds like a to some people, it might sound like a fairly trivial thing of how do you get someone a laptop, a microphone, a webcam, wherever they are. But if you're hiring all around the world, that can actually be quite a manual and slow process. So we, uh, the way that we ended up on this project is we're actually building, my co-founder and I, a micromobility business before, trying to solve the inverse problem, which was commuting. And we saw the writing on the wall for commuting when COVID started to loom around the corner. And we believe that COVID was going to create a long enough disruption that people would actually learn how to work in a distributed way. Because as humans, we have an uncanny ability to adapt to, to the world. So we, we did a 180 and then worked on this. Instead of trying to help people commute, try to people try to help people avoid the commute altogether. And yeah, it's been two years since we started. It's been a fun journey. We've got just under 200 customers who are employing people in about 80, 90 countries. As of today. Congrats on the journey and successful pivot. What's been your favorite moment so far? Well, I th that's an easy one because I think the favorite moment has been the first customer deployment. So in, in true founder approach, it was a little bit of fake it till you make it. So we came up with the idea of Hoffi on a Sunday, about three, four days after we decided to pivot. We incorporated the business on a Monday, Tuesday we registered for tax, Wednesday we launched a fairly crappy website to be fully transparent. And said, so, you know what, let's basically build a real MVP of this product, which was a type form and air table and just a very basic token gated website. It wasn't even actual, there wasn't even uh, user authentication. And then we started calling and emailing everyone we could think of. And we managed to close a customer who was a branch of the National Health Service in the UK. And we promised them 500 home offices delivered across the country in five working days. But the challenge is between when we started pitching people and when this thing actually signed, the UK went into lockdown. All the factories closed down. Everyone started buying chairs and desks and so on. We had to really improvise to actually get that done. I'm happy to say that we delivered every single one of them on time, but it involved a, an abandoned warehouse in Stoke-on-Trent for local people on hourly rates assembling that, the equipment. And Michael and I manually creating delivery routes for 40 vans across the UK with 500 stops. It was a very intense week, but it worked out really well. Customer was very happy. Vendors were really happy. So it was an, an literally an all a win-win for everyone. And on the back of this single customer, we, we raised our first round of investment. And so literally it was, a, I think, a combination of right place, right time, an incredible amount of luck and sheer determination that basically got us to where we are today. That's really an incredible story and congratulations. And yeah, I can't imagine, I wouldn't even know where to start if I had that challenge. Neither did we. And 
I, what do you wish you'd known before starting Hoffy? It's a, it's a good question. There's a hundred and one things. There's one thing I could say is I wish we had certitude that remote and distributed working was here to stay. That was in a way the big gamble that we took. I remember vividly that the first three to six months when we were pitching customers, and this was, you know, March to September 2020, the vast majority of the work that we had to do is to convince the prospects that this is not going to be one to three months of disruption and that while yes, there might be some regression to the mean in terms of people going back to the office, it's not going to go back to what it was before, which was a de facto five days a week in the office all the time. And I guess I, I wish I, I had known with certitude that was going to be the case because that was very much a feeling rather than something that I knew. I think that's a great answer. And the key takeaway is as a founder, you need to really be confident in your idea and vision, even if the trends are not actually 100% confirming it yet. So well done. And you mentioned at the beginning, right now you're equipping employees remotely around the world. What's next and what's the vision for the next five, five, 10 years? Yeah, I think the vision is continuing to scale and automate. We still do a lot of the things, a lot of the back, background work is still manual. We've invested a huge amount of time and effort and mind space and capital into building the tech and infrastructure that makes our proposition really scalable and automated for the customer, but also for our back office, because the thing I'm proudest of over the last 18 months is that we've managed to hit 99 plus on-time delivery rate all around the world within our SLA, which is incredibly hard to. So for me, it's what we need to focus on right now is really productizing a lot of the things that we've cracked and we've solved over the last 18 months into something that is really, truly scalable. And what I want Hoffi to be in the next five years is to have the same level of associate, to be like the no-brainer name that is such a household name when it comes to businesses hiring all around the world. It's like, hey, if you want co-working space, then the first word that comes to your head is WeWork. If you want a messaging app for a startup, the first name that comes to your head is Slack. I want the same level of association with equipment, right? You want to equip someone around, anywhere in the world. I want the world Hoffy to come to people's minds. And I do believe that we have by far the best product in the market and we'll continue building to make sure that it remains the best product in the market. That's a very bold vision. And given what you've achieved so far, I think you're on the right trajectory and that's, that will happen. So as a founder, I imagine you interact with quite a few contracts or you've interacted through contracts through the journey of Hoffy. What are those contracts and what insights can you share with yeah, us? Yeah, uh, this is a really interesting one, which is one of the reasons I was so excited to join the podcast, because one of the things that you know about me is I'm very detailed oriented and quite obsessive. I was very deeply involved in all of the contracts from very early on. I also married a lawyer. There's a lot of legal talk at home and I feel like it's actually taught me a lot of the basics, which are super exciting. But from the very early days of Hoffi, we wrote our, I wrote our first terms of service and entered into a contract with the NHS on terms of service written by me, which I, that really kept me up at night in case something went really badly. But no, it's been NDAs, employment contracts, terms of service. There's been also, because we're a global company, even stuff like data privacy, data handling, all of that is like really complex. And probably one of the highest I was most desperate to make is a head of legal or a GC, and now we've got someone in the team. And that's relieved a huge, pressure from me from a time perspective, also from a risk perspective, because we're building something that's very complex and very large. So I think the saddest way to go is basically through a bad contract. And I've 
I know a couple of startups who basically went down because they had poor contracts and just, I think, making sure that's really, that is super important. And I was a bit nervous, I must say, in the first week or two when my, when Verity joined, because she was doing like an audit of all the legal processes and all the contracts that we had. I'm like, oh my God, I really am dreading to see what's going to come out of this. But actually it turned out we were all good. Aside from the huge amount of effort, time and mental energy we dedicated to it. I'm very happy to say that we actually did pretty good on that side, but I'm also really glad I'm not dealing with contracts myself anymore. And I think so are my investors. That's, yeah, congratulations on signing the NHS with a terms and service. I've never heard that one before, but it's possible. And maybe the terms of service route is an approach and startups should always try to push first before pushing for a broader agreement. You mentioned some startups that went down with legal. What are maybe some of the risks that startup founders, maybe in those cases, or just generally should watch yeah, out for? I mean, for? The, the two cases I can think of is, of people I know, is one of them is a, is a founder in London that basically agreed to an in, uh, unlimited indemnity clause, which most seed founders who don't have a legal background, so what does that even mean? This is like a very basic contract 101, and without having the guidance, if you're a three-man band, trying to sell to a really big client and you've never seen this because, okay, let's just sign here. And it's a very easy thing to miss out. And then the second one was that I know of as well was someone who entered into a very large supply agreement where there were no SLAs associated to the delivery of that agreement, meaning, and there was a minimum committed volume and that volume was just so high. It was a multi-year contract that when the supplier failed to deliver, the level of service that they wanted. It was impossible for the startup to get out of that agreement because there were no break clauses related to an SLA. And so they ended up with this massive like this contract where they were obliged to pay tens of millions and they couldn't get out of it. And they couldn't afford to go into big litigation with this massive supplier either. So they literally had to close shop because they, they didn't put SLAs and exit clauses into the contract. Those are very yeah. sad stories, but I guess um, as well. lessons, yeah, lessons which should be generalized for founders. And I think that's something that at Legislate we do try to do is provide a lot of education around why is it important to have good contracts from day one? It's so that you're protected because when things are going well, then sure, contracts don't really matter. All, all that matters are the key terms around payment, delivery, et cetera. But when something goes wrong, that's when you need a good contract. Exactly. And yeah, we make that and legislate cost effective. Yeah, I think that the thing that I'd add to that is, especially yeah. in countries, in places like Europe, where people aren't inherently litigious, like they are in the US, I think legal risk is not something that we grow up, or even that is something like that. We have top of mind as huge risk elements as European founders. And I've also noticed a very significant difference of how much focus time, let's say, founders that have grown up in the US versus European ones put into this. We're just not used to it. And I put myself in the boat of people who weren't used to it. Yeah. And it's when I look at the amount, how big our sort of legal database of contracts right now is for. Objectively, we're not that large a business. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. Our chief legal officer is actually American, and obviously I'm European, so there's a nice balance. <laughs>
I agree around also the volume of contracts. Even a small business of 10, 20 employees can easily create over 100 contracts a year. With unstructured data, it's really difficult to do any form of filtering or triaging with that amount of contracts. Yeah. One, one more reason to use Legislate. Sammy, I'm conscious I've already taken a lot of your time, so I'm going to ask you the closing question we ask all our guests. If you're being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you? Ooh. So I think that's a good question. And it's something that we try to apply in the contracts that we write as well. But what would impress me is something that is very easy to read, very easy, a contract that really highlights the key terms in the first page. And just like a real big, a great summary, let's say on page one or two of the contracts, the commercial clauses. And that doesn't have backhand and fair clauses buried deep in the legal, legal in, in, in the text, because I think those are the most right. And that's especially important if you're putting the summary page up front. If you're putting the summary page up front with the commercials, you should also highlight everything, right? And we try to write our contracts in a way that really minimizes the amount of red lines. And the way that you do that is by making the contract. So if you basically introduce anything into a contract that could be a red flag to the other party signing, they're also going to pick up the other 20 yellow flags. Whereas maybe if there wasn't that red flag in there, they might have just not even bothered with the 20 yellow flags and then just sign it. So I think it's the contract needs to be fair for both parties. It needs to be well summarized at the beginning and no hidden nasty clauses buried deep in the text away from the summary. Oh, and obviously by a platform that's easy to sign because who uses pen and paper anymore? Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think it's really important to start with fair wording, even if you think, oh, I want to give myself an advantage in the legal negotiation, it undermines trust Enough. and at the end of the day, just makes the negotiation longer because you'll end up in the middle anyway. Why not start from the middle if that's where you're going to end up? Exactly. And if you're a small company, actually, the cost of you going through that process is just going to hurt your sales motion. When getting those customers signed quickly is, is important. And if you're dealing with corporate, they're going to ask you to sign their terms of service anyway. So it's not, it's like a little bit of a, and the small customers that might accept terms that are favorable to you, they're not material anyway. And if it went down to litigation, it's like drawing blood mm -hmm. out of a stone. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a false, in most cases, like trying to put an advantage into your own contract is, doesn't generally work. Because those people who, for whom it matters, yeah. immaterial generally to the business. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you, Sammy, for taking the time and uh, best of luck conquering equipment around the world. Thanks, Charles. It was a pleasure being here.